This podcast is brought to you by Learn Prime. Start your journey to becoming a great developer at learn.thoughtbot.com. Giant robot smashing into other giant robots. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Giant Robots Smashing Into Other Giant Robots podcast. My name is Ben Orenstein, and I'm here today with Kyle Bragger. How are you, Kyle? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So right now I'm working on a product called Exposure, uh, which is a tool to build beautiful photo narratives, a uh, subscription service. I'm working with a colleague of mine at, at Elepath, the kind of parent company of all this, mm-hmm. doing, I guess, CTO things. Um, we had initially prototyped this thing maybe, I guess, in like August or September. Now we're, we're another dev on board, so I'm doing a lot more making sure stuff's getting done uh, at the right time and figuring out roadmap stuff and still writing some code here and there, but lately the last last couple of sprints, I guess, have been much more just administrative. Mm. Are you happy with that change? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it's something I'm certainly used to. I do love writing code, too, but it seems like a good use of time right now. We're kind of in an interesting spot since the service is covering its costs about tenfold, and we achieved our first goal, which was to create this great tool for building photo narratives, and now we're kind of looking at where the vision's going from there, so building community around the product and so forth. So there's a lot of interesting but hard questions to be answered and lots of uh, logistical stuff. And we also were kind of in parallel doing a big refactor of, of the core like editor functionality. So we worked with a, an outside guy who kind of assisted on engineering to uh, move over to Backbone and do some other housekeeping stuff that mm-hmm. we kind of had to do for a while. But lots of, lots of interesting things going on. Yeah, We, we just got out of a big um, Git branching nightmare. Was it a, a merge of death? Uh, yeah, I mean, we just had a lot of small things going on at once, but then this this backbone uh, refactor we did kind of added to the uh, the puzzle there. Fortunately, we um, everything's fine. It's just a matter of getting everyone on the same page. Mm-hmm. So Exposure is um, a tool for creating photo narratives, and you're letting people share these things that they've done, that they've created or experienced. And now you're, I, you mentioned that you're starting to think about building a community around this thing and then giving your your background as the creator of forest this seems to be a, a bit of a theme in the stuff you like to work on you're like letting people share their things and then commun- talk about them yeah yeah for sure um exposure is interesting because it was really luke beard the the designer slash inventor of the product convinced me to help him build a prototype he's very handy with front-end engineering as well as design but as far as implementation stuff goes it, it's uh, a little bit outside of his skill set so it really was just a, a matter of him making something interesting enough that was, seemed like it was worth working on. But there are certainly a lot of parallels, even though I'm not. This wasn't something I just imagined out of out of thin air. I feel like I'm more of a support role in this sense for Luke. But yeah, there's a lot of parallels with Forest. Certainly, the burgeoning community that seems to be forming with uh, with our most engaged users. And I think generally the theme for me in the last geez, like five years now has been helping people prosper. Um, it started something near and dear to me, which was design development realm with Forest. But then I think there's a lot of ways we can help photographers kind of solve the I'm awesome, but nobody knows it problem. I think, I forget mm-hmm. who, I think Dave McClure coined that term in one of our, uh, in one of our meetings once. It's a really interesting thing, I guess. It's, you know, every, I think every industry has its notable personalities, but there are just countless numbers of people who never really get much recognition for doing great work. Mm. Um, and so helping to elevate them into the spotlight 
uh, is something that's been a fun undertaking and a, and a worthwhile one as well. So mm-hmm. yeah, there's definitely a lot of cool stuff I think we're going to be able to do with, uh, with the exposure community that's starting. Yeah, I was looking through some of the, the staff picks you have on the on the exposure site. I, I suppose this is maybe kind of an obvious design goal with a photo related thing, but it was it was nice how much the photos are the centerpiece and the rest kind of just gets out of the way. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I think Luke was largely inspired by these kind of art-directed um, quarterly magazines, I guess Kinfolk. I think it's quarterly, but anyway, the Kinfolk style where it's just big, beautiful photography is front and center. There's not a lot of Chrome. Mm-hmm. Um, I think something we've found with a lot of photography services that exist right now is just it's sort of a, a permalink page with a smallish photo and lots of junk around it. Totally. Um, stats and comments and ads and whatever else. And the work is kind of lost to that. So I think his focus and, and certainly our ongoing challenge is to just make it feel exactly like you described. It's obvious the photography is front and center. And everything is respectful in that sense. Mm. Yeah. So you're in San Francisco right now still. Is that true? That is true, yeah. Not for long? Not for long. I'm approaching the year and a half mark, I think. Uh, I like the city for a number of reasons. I dislike the city for a number of reasons. Um, It never really felt like home. So I think the wife and I are uh, actually in April going to fly to Berlin and live there for a little while, Mm. all depending on some paperwork with residency permits and all that, but we'll be there at least for, for three months, which is what the, the travel visa allows, but hopefully a couple of years if we can make that work. Mm. What made you pick Berlin? It's a great city. I, I've been there a few times. I lived there last year with some other coworkers uh, for a couple of months, and I find it has all the things that I like about cities. It feels modern, and the pace is just right. There's a lot of, um, a lot of cool stuff to see. Great culture, uh, super affordable still. Felt like a really great place and, and uh, perhaps something a little bit in, indescribable as far as the feeling that I get being there. So hmm. I've been a couple of times. I'm a huge fan. Have you been to the, seen the karaoke in Mauer Park? Um, no, we didn't get there. We did go to some karaoke place uh, on uh, Vashauer, uh Strasse, but no, that's definitely not the park stuff. There's this giant amphitheater in a park. And someone, I guess, started just showing up on Sundays, I think it is, with a a karaoke machine. And this giant following has sort of sprung up so that, like, karaoke now takes place in front of, like, three or four hundred people. Oh, wow. Outdoors. It's really incredible. Yeah, we'll definitely have to make a point to do that. Yeah. Um, We did get to the the outdoor cinema a few times. Um, We saw Metropolis with live piano accompaniment, which is pretty incredible to do that, especially in Berlin. So. So, yeah, it's a great place. We're really excited about it. And um, we'll see. I mean, the, the cool thing about Allopath is that everyone can work well wherever they are. So we're pretty big into the remote stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty pumped, though. It seems like there's a, a little bit of a renaissance going on with tech stuff moving into Berlin. Uh, you're not the only person I've talked to that works in this field and is, is heading there or is going to live there. Yeah, um, it's interesting. I get the sense it's still very, things are very kind of nascent. From what I understand, it's a lot harder to raise capital there. Um, I think it's just a little bit more of a risk-averse investor situation, mm-hmm. uh, understandably so. But uh, yeah, it it's, feels very young and vibrant and um, kind of a melting pot. When we were there last time, we were working out of a cool co-working space and uh, just people literally from all over the world kind of hanging out and working on cool stuff, and it felt vibrant. But I think also the affordability of the city I mean, you can you can get a great flat for like 
five six hundred euro, which of course if you're if you're looking to build something and make the money stretch, I mean obviously that's hugely attractive. Mm-hmm. Of course. Have you done remote work before? Uh, yeah, I have. I spent a number of years um, doing consulting and working for various engineering roles, and I enjoy it. I kind of oscillate, I guess. I'll go through phases where I really like being in an office, being around people, and then other phases where I dig just having a cool space to work out of that's maybe remotely located um, from everything that's going on. But I think for me personally, it's got to be a balance. I don't think I can spend years either way, but... Uh, we may open a branch office of Elopath in Berlin. It seems like there's a number of other uh, coworkers who are interested in being there, at least from time to time. So that'll be that'll be cool to have a permanent space to call home. I think that's one of the bigger problems with with remote work is not having not having a comfortable space to be in. I mean, mm-hmm. an apartment's fine uh, if you can make it work, but it's nice to have a little separation. I think between being at home, getting out of bed, and not being able to see your your bedroom from your desk. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I'm a, I'm super extroverted, so remote work is not something I'm super interested in in general, but especially yep. not in my current situation. My apartment is really small, and so it would just be like totally no escape at all. Yeah, that makes it a lot harder. Yeah. So uh, do you want to talk about Forest? Sure, yeah, yeah is, absolutely. Is that a sore subject for you at all? Oh, no, not at all. Okay, um, great. Yeah, where shall we begin? I don't know. You tell me. Um yeah, that was it. Was a very interesting time for me. I think mm-hmm. it was, man, that was two thousand nine. Yeah, I was working as lead engineer of uh, a company that Gary Vaynerchuk acquired. Actually, I think from Dan Suderholm called Corked. It was like a wine social network for the average person to review wine and talk about wine and whatnot. Much less had even like a wine spectator or wine advocate type of thing. It was just anybody could participate, which was really cool. So Quark needed some engineering guidance and was doing that, and the product took a turn towards a more editorialized vision, I guess, which didn't really require engineering so much as uh, as writing. So Forrest had been kind of a side project at that point that was getting some traction, and I made the jump once Quark kind of spun down to uh, to work on Forrest full-time. And um, the initial vision actually reminds me quite a bit of... Um, uh, RealMax Ember, in a sense, just this tool for cataloging interesting engineering stuff, code snippets, uh, libraries, um, design-wise, as far as UI interactions and whatever else caught my eye and felt like it was worth keeping around, kind of like a scrapbook or something. Mm. The community thing was totally foreign to me. I'd been familiar with other communities that existed online, but never really expected or thought that Forrest would kind of grow into one, but sure enough, that kind of happened uh, very much organically. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it was a really, I think it was a really fun ride. I think it was about three years in total. Um, we got acquired by uh, the company that owns Creative Market and uh, Color Lovers in 2012. Um, and then they ended up selling Forest to Zurb, I think, the year after. And now it's currently at Zurb still, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a a very formative time for me. Made tons of, of new friends through the community and learned a ton about building communities online and and just just so fascinating to be deep in a problem that's not necessarily fully solvable by engineering alone. Mm-hmm. You know, that 
enormous human component of, yeah. of communities that you just simply can't write code to fix, which is, as an engineer, very frustrating sometimes. Mm. But I think all good in the end. There are certainly some ups and downs as as exist with every early stage company, but we made it work and uh, it was a great experience. I'd probably do it all over again, even though it was uh, super stressful at times, but learned learned too many good things to uh, to really feel bad about it. Mm. If you were going to do it over again, would you sell it when you did? Um, you know, probably not. I think at the time I was thinking mostly about what would be best for the community as a whole. And for me, it was kind of a question of, you know, can can you build a sustainable online community or largely from member-supported uh, revenue? And we did okay. I mean, I think the biggest revenue driver for us was when we started opening up access to the talent to outside companies. So we started a pretty traditional job board, but there were a lot of... Um, I don't think we ever fully launched this. We had kind of a private beta going of this tool that would let you really dig in and target specific subsets of users based on what technologies they were into, all sorts of other stuff. We built a pretty robust reputation engine so we could really surface like the best Ruby engineers or the best icon designers or whatever it might be and let companies target them directly. And a very everything for us was always about being thoughtful and respectful to the community, and my thesis was... Anything we do around revenue, so long as it's thoughtful and respectful and beneficial to the community, would be well received. Mm. Because ultimately, we're helping, kind of going back to this helping people prosper theme. If I'm helping somebody get their dream job, then hopefully, if they're a rational person, they're they're not going to be upset with that. I think most people would be pretty cool to be in a situation like that. So yeah, it was about it was about building stuff that would help the community advance their careers and their skill sets and at the same time help us become a sustainable company. And we did have, I think we had two months at the end of, uh, of break even. But I think just when I kind of looked at the long term of what Forest could be or should be, it felt like the right decision at the time to move it under the umbrella of a bigger company that could sustain it and take some of that pressure off Forest having to become self-sufficient Hmm. Especially as we raised a t- very tiny seed round, I think like two hundred and five thousand or something, which by today's standards is you know a rounding error. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was just I think it was kind of the pressure of do we have enough to keep this going? And me maybe two fault sometimes being very hyper aware of not doing anything that could possibly destroy our reputation with the community or or break the trust that we'd built over the last couple of years. So right. You know, I think I think looking back on it, there's probably a, a bit of burnout or um, mm. kind of tunnel vision in a sense. And you know, as they say, hindsight is twenty twenty. Uh, if I could go back, I probably would have made some different decisions. But in the end, I think it worked out, and um, I have no regrets about it. Mm-hmm. Is there some degree that you think you were feeling that pressure because you launched? without the explicit goal of making money like it didn't really have a, a revenue model at first it seems like and then you sort of felt this pressure because it had to eventually sustain itself yeah for sure i think my thinking at the time i mean aside from just being fairly inexperienced with running successful or even mildly successful products with any degree of traction um i'd worked on one other startup type of thing with a with a colleague who actually later became a forest investor but we we failed spectacularly and and it was a good learning experience too. But uh, Forest was really the first thing that I did on my own that took off in any way at all. Mm-hmm. But for me, it was very much I just built something that I wanted, and oftentimes that can cloud one's vision. I think as far as sustainability and everything, because you're not really thinking about well, how is this going to pay for itself when there are fifty thousand users, right? 
because you launched much, it to your friends initially, right? It was you. Yeah, and your, it was exactly. It was I made something I wanted. So even if I run it locally, I mean, it's still free and doesn't require anything to mm-hmm. to keep around. And then it was launched to friends. And then it, there was this inflection point, I think, in March of 2010, where we the old Carsonified blog mm-hmm. when when they were still uh, Think Vitamin or whatever whatever it was called wrote about us and. Overnight, it seemed like suddenly thousands of people were waiting to get an account and people were talking about it and there was a lot of interest in it. And uh, it was a bit of a whirlwind. Um, But yeah, I think the biggest lesson I've learned from everything I've done back then and since is revenue is important and knowing how you're going to keep the lights on is really critical to understand. Um, I guess I don't really feel like this, the idea of trying to get really big and get lots of users and putting off the revenue question until much later, it's just, you know, a big part of me is scratches my head when I think about that. Yeah, Sam, I wonder if that trend is going to reverse itself. Like, it feels like a meme right now, almost. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I guess I don't want to make a blanket statement and say it's inherently bad or, or evil and no one should be doing it, but... On the other hand, if you look at any of the large technology acquisitions, I guess other than WhatsApp, really, because WhatsApp, I think, had a paid, you mm. paid for the product, as far as I know. But anyway, Tumblr, you know, Facebook, uh, Twitter, these are all enormous businesses, but they're advertising businesses. Yeah. And I don't want to run an advertising business. And, and that's something that really has translated into how we've built exposure. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a business model from day one. Yeah, I noticed you actually in your FAQ, you say, there's a question for why do you charge money? It says, we think far too many services focus on getting lots of users first with little or no consideration to how they'll keep everything running. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it takes a lot of stress off, I think. And, you know, maybe maybe I'm just not wired for the whole try to get 100 million users and figure out how to make a dime later. But yeah, I, I, just, I just don't understand it. I think with venture money and everything, it's it becomes a little bit more of a trade-off there. I mean, once you take money, and, and certainly this is the case with Forest too, um, it changes things. Uh, it, it certainly does, and suddenly you're beholden to outside forces to a degree. Uh, fortunately right. for us, the amount we raised was paltry in comparison to, I guess, the average round these days. But yeah, it definitely changes things a, a bunch. Mm-hmm. You seem to have a, a string of, of things you've done that you've pushed out in the world and that people have seen and have done pretty well. And I, I noticed you have a quote from you from an interview where you say you're sort of into less talking about ideas and more actually building those ideas. <laughs> oh, man. Did I say that? Um, Apparently. I'm impressed with myself, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think so. Um, I mean, I got that a lot when... New York was interesting. I lived there before here for six years or so and saw the rise of the second dot-com era, if you want to call it that, hmm. um, in New York. And it, I just felt like a lot of the people I would meet were all talk. I mean, I, there were a few repeat offenders that I literally saw over the course of a number of years who pitched the same ideas and talked about the same things and never never did anything about it. Hmm. But yeah, I mean, I've tried to live by that in terms of getting something into the world, seeing if it sticks and... If it doesn't, oh well, but at least I, I tried it. I'm really impressed, actually, with Drew Wilson, the uh, kind of developer-designer phenom that um, does uh, ValioCon and a bunch of other things. But I don't know how he does it. He seems like kind of a machine, but he ships like nobody I've ever seen before. It's inspiring. It's cool to see high-quality products come out on a regular basis from this guy. Mm-hmm. And he's trying stuff, and you know maybe a lot of it doesn't work, but I think it's still 
it still feels really good to be able to spend time building something you care about and release it to the world and in some small way make an impact for someone else who, who can connect with it as well. Yeah, totally. I'm looking at his uh, his site, and he has, I'm currently building, and then there's like a dozen things listed. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a bunch for sure. But, uh, I mean, maybe he's the other end of the spectrum as far as uh, shipping all the things. Maybe he needs to do more talking about things and less shipping of the things. Well, I think he does that too. I think he wrote a book about it, and yeah, I, I'm just really impressed with him. I think, I think it's really cool to see that. You know, I, I like creating things. I, I think I probably stumbled into programming when I was 11 or 12 or whatever because... Mm-hmm. I could literally make something from nothing and that was really cool and it was completely under my control and mm-hmm. yeah, it's just, it's marvelous to see, to be yeah. able to do that, I think. Uh, yeah, totally. And I, th- I think there's almost like this gene to some degree where there's some people that leave this trail of projects they've done that actually got shoved out into the world and some people don't ever get to that point. It's interesting to sort of see that difference. Yeah, for sure. I think this whole learn to code movement politics i guess aside is really nice to see too i just personally i've met a lot of people too that that was the only barrier was i don't know anybody and i don't know how to code and really want to make this thing and it's rewarding to see them be able to get a prototype out actually i guess this this weird thread the the guy i started this startup with prior to forest and then became a forest investor and now is a co-founder of a thing called picture life but it was great to see him go from non-technical to now technical co-founder of this really awesome photo archive service. Yeah, it just feels so rewarding, I think, to mm. be able to see other people have the same kind of pleasure from releasing something they made, even if the code sucks or it's you oh, know, totally. buggy or whatever. I mean, it's still you, you made something. Yeah, it, it puts it in a different category when you actually shove, put it out there and let people see it. Yeah. So I'm gonna, I, I want to quote you again from a previous interview. I guess you were asked to come up with a bio, and your first sentence was, I'm a pretty boring person, really. <laughs> oh, man. When was that? 2010, end of 2010. Yeah. Sometimes I feel a little boring. Um, I mean, I certainly have hobbies, I guess, but the big hobby seems to be building stuff. So there's an enormously blurred line between work and non-work for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've always kind of thought it a little odd, but I guess I'm in a similar boat as a lot of people mm-hmm. Which makes it feel a little better, but yeah, I, I don't know. I think there's just something so great about being able to create stuff and that ends up bleeding over into my non-elopath time. Um, but I've recently taken up powerlifting and, uh, and CrossFit in the last year, so that's, that's given me a good outlet for mm. something that isn't sitting in front of a computer. Yeah, totally. I have this idea for a conference I want to run that is functional programming and powerlifting. Are you in? Oh, man. One of our advisors would love that. Yeah, he's the one that got me into the, the powerlifting and, and also into closure. So I mm. think I think it would be perfect. That's pretty much what it's gonna be. Closure <laughs> and deadlifts. Oh man, he would he would love it. <laughs> but uh yeah, you know, I certainly have been cognizant of getting too mired in projects and trying to have a better balance between like non computer stuff. because um, it's hard, especially when I love it so much yeah. and it's something that's really enjoyable for me and not just a job and a way to get a paycheck. So it's it's been somewhat of a conscious effort to to turn that off and say, okay, I'm gonna go outside or you know now with lifting or whatever, or just not touch a computer when I get home, yeah. um, which is really healthy and changed a lot for me. I think I don't feel so fried at the end of the day now. Yeah, I've been struggling with that myself. I'm at a computer all day at work and like a sitting or standing, and then I get home and I'm like, I'm doing the same thing I just did all day, just in a different <laughs> location. Exactly. 
It feels a little dangerous. Yeah, I think it can be, but I think the fitness stuff really changed a lot. And it's easy to get really into a project, too. You're really excited about it and just literally tune out everything, whether it's relationships or your own physical well-being or anything like that. Um, and I, for years, I mean, uh, looking at photos of, of myself in the past, I'm just like, wow, that was that was not a healthy point for me mm. in a number of ways. So, yeah, I think I think it's an important lesson to be learned for really anyone who's in our industry is make sure that you're finding a good balance mm-hmm. with making time for meaningful relationships and your own physical well-being. I mean, we don't, you know, whatever they say, we only get one body or one life or whatnot. So it's important. I'm glad I'm glad I'm on the right track now. Yeah. Any other uh, realizations like that that you've had? No, I mean, I've been I've been sort of analyzing my working habits in the last couple of years. And it's interesting to see the the ebb and flow of where I'm comfortable working, you know, going back to talking about remote versus kind of in office around other humans type of thing and mm-hmm. working hours. I find that early mornings are really most productive for me. And then sort of this afternoon lull, which I imagine is probably true for a lot of people. But I think a big a big part of um, the last few years has been trying to improve my self-awareness and really listen to my mind and my body. And um, when I'm feeling, for instance, like I'm deep in a problem and just burnt out on it, it's okay to walk away. I think so many companies instill this horrible culture of you need to be in at nine, you need to stay till six, except not really six because all your coworkers are going to stay till like eight or nine because we're serving mm-hmm. dinner. Mm-hmm. And if you leave early, then you're going to be that guy or that girl who, you know, isn't putting out as much as the other people. And just a lot of really unhealthy stuff that I'm seeing, especially out in this neck of the woods, it just doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, I don't know. Something about it feels a little nefarious. Like if you're serving three meals a day to people and they're taking you up on all of those things, it means they're probably at, at the office for most of their waking day, mm-hmm. going home and going to sleep and getting up and doing it all over again. It, something feels wrong about that. But I think it's been really important to just be attuned to how I'm feeling. And if I need to walk away, it's okay. And fortunately with Allopath, we don't have set schedules. We don't have any sort of structure in that respect. It's just all about executing, doing great work, producing meaningful stuff. And and how that gets done is really up to the person because I think it is a very individual thing. If I'm working well in the morning, other people may be most productive in the middle of the night while I'm fast asleep. And I think that has to be embraced to a degree Mm -hmm. Um, so long as everyone can communicate well and it's not causing problems, obviously, but... Uh, yeah, just walking away because I think in the past I would just push myself through it and keep staring at the screen and keep trying to solve the problem and mm. just get really frustrated and kind of burnt out on it. So I think just being really attuned to your what your body's telling you is really important. And it took a while to figure that out, but a lot of the stuff is like, oh, obviously you should you should do that. But I think it took a long time to actually make the mental leap. Sure. Anything else you wanted to uh, talk about while I have you here? Not particularly. I was pleasantly surprised to hear uh, that you guys wanted me on. And um, it's been a while since I've uh, really talked on a podcast. So I appreciate it. I think, I think that's it for me. Okay, awesome. Well, I, I appreciate, likewise, you coming on and spending the time. Sure, yeah, of course. So if people wanted to get in touch with you, do you have a preferred way for them to do that? Uh, sure. Twitter is probably easiest. Okay. It's just at Kyle Bragger is my username. I used to have a personal site, but I think I swapped over DNS for something or other and <laughs> never really changed uh or didn't change something or let something expire anyway no personal site anymore i kept finding that i would just kind of half-ass it and 
trying to get something online, and I don't really know why I need one now. So Twitter's <laughs> Twitter's the best way. Maybe I'll put my email in my uh, in my bio or something. But it seems like a pretty common problem that people are not satisfied with things they create for themselves. Oh yeah, for sure. Everyone I know is like, oh, I made a personal site and it's horrible, and I feel so feel like it sucks and. So I'm just not going to have one for now. I think that's I think okay. that's a, a good good option. But Twitter is the best way. I took I actually took January off. I stopped reading and using Twitter for January. It was really kind of an interesting change. I was worried I was going to miss a bunch of stuff, but I didn't really. I think the important stuff tends to find its way to you. Yep. Okay. Cool. Well, I think we can leave it right there. Cool. If you'd like to access the show notes for this episode, you can go to thoughtbot.com slash giantrobots slash 88. Thanks for listening.